We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw, we go tit for tat, we have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Alright, welcome into episode 80 of the Moose Nerds podcast. It's, it's almost more like a half episode, but we're going to call it 80. Um, this is not Joe's smooth sounding voice bringing into the podcast. Uh, instead, this is, this is Matt, and I have on our, our favorite guest, really one of our only guests. We've had maybe like three. Um, but Phil Goff, uh, from One Foot Down, uh, Notre Dame writer is joining me. Joe is, uh, is out today for personal reasons. Uh, Keeping him in our thoughts and prayers, him and his family, and we're we're hoping to get him back here at the end of the week, maybe for a for a weekend preview type episode. But Phil, thank you for for tagging in, and you know we've we've had three or two pretty big Notre Dame games this year. We've had you on before both of them, so you, you know I'm pretty superstitious. So I wanted to get down again before this one. Yeah, no, I definitely feel like I'm locked for life right now. Uh, yeah, for any big uh, Notre Dame game upcoming, but appreciate the kind words of being the favorite guest. Well, um, it's more so like just. By sheer numbers, uh, you've been on the most now. So, but numbers-wise, you are the favorite guest because we yeah, haven't had anybody on as much. You got to take what you can get. The best, the, the best avail, the best ability is availability. Is like the amount of times I've heard that in my life. Um, hey, I'm just, I'm trying. Well, I'm trying to make that because I feel like that's one of Musso's taglines. Sometimes at least get Joe, Joe would <laughs> love that one. Uh, something else Joe would love to hear is he, he's he's the resident Mitch Trubisky lover on this podcast. I think no, it's just me. Uh, Mitch Trubisky. Before we get to Notre Dame, I, I feel like I have to to bring this up because I am such a such a obviously such big Bears fans on this podcast that I've been the, the Trubisky defender all year. NFC Offensive Player of the Week after that performance against Detroit, 355 yards through the air, four touchdowns. Phil, I know you're a Notre Dame guy, but I mean it's, it's Chicago and Bear Down. What did you what did you think of what we saw from our our sweet boy Mitch on Sunday? I mean, he was just throwing some unbelievable balls. The one, the touchdown specifically to Robinson was like was like a forty-plus yard, perfectly thrown, like quasi back shoulder throw, mm-hmm. and just the ability to to make that throw. But then on top of that, something the Bears just haven't had in years past, like atrociously for the past couple of years, is someone who can actually just make that play. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I think last year he was just so handcuffed, um, not only by John Fox, but who was like who was their leading receiver last year? Uh, honestly, they had so many different ones. I mean, you had Trey McBride making appearances. Josh Bellamy was making. I mean, Josh Bellamy was playing a featured role on, in that receiving core last year. They were just like Cameron Meredith. I mean, it, it, Meredith. Was, it was all guys who would be you know a fourth, a fourth, maybe fifth receiver on any other team, and that's who you put. That's who you have for you know a rookie quarterback. So you know getting getting Nagy in there is we're really starting to see benefits. Honestly, quicker than I thought. Um, yeah, which is which is awesome. I kind of thought, and I, I'm still going to give him the year because I still think there's going to be some downside, some upside here as we go throughout. As, as I mean, I've said it on the podcast before. I, I kind of treat this as Mitch's rookie year because last year he was so handcuffed and had nothing to work with, and now he's in. You know, he went from the most black and white offense you can have to, you know, rainbow colored sprinkles type offense over here and it, it's completely different. And yes, my mind works in food, but that's okay. Um, it, it's just it's so completely different, so much more complicated. He has so much more to worry about, so much more on his plate and now he's kind of charged with leading the offense and having, you know, everybody in Chicago and every national opinion or immediate person having an opinion on him. It's hard to block out that noise unless you try. So he's had a lot on his plate. And uh, when the Bears are rolling, there's 
there's no bigger position or maybe person in the city that's going to be more scrutinized than the quarterback of the Chicago Bears. So I, I think he's handling that pretty well. But I, you brought up that Robinson throw, and not only was that throw great, but what stuck out to me was he looked off the safety really, really well. He took the snap. He, he that that uh, the free safety on top is kind of cheating over to Robinson's side because they're pressing him. Mitch completely looked him off down the middle towards the left side, and then kind of without even giving much time to look, he took one quick look to Robinson and just let it go right when he saw the safety had those pitch slips. Gave his guy a you know one on one shot, and uh, obviously we know how it turned out. But that was a fun game to watch, and uh, bigger one this Sunday. Yeah, yeah, but, definitely. It's a prime prime time game this Sunday, right? Yeah, we got the the old eighty five hour turnaround. We have Sunday night football into that great eleven thirty a.m. kickoff on uh, on Thanksgiving morning. So the uh, the Bears are going to be maybe not even going home from from Hallis, maybe straight from Soldier Field to Hallis and just living in that training room. But uh, they got to do it. They got to come yeah. the win. It's also ridiculous. It's just crazy that they played the Lions last week and are literally turning around and playing. It's got to be the, the fastest turnaround for back-to-back games outside of somehow like a playoff matchup that has probably ever happened in the NFL, and that's based off of no knowledge. Just <laughs> I, I, what I, I think has to happen. I don't think there's a, a way because the only you don't get flexed in the Monday night. Monday night schedule is is always set. And they would never schedule a team on, on Thanksgiving after having a Monday night game. So I honestly, there's no time frame I can see how this could be quicker going from Sunday night to Thursday morning. But nonetheless, they, they needed to get that one. Uh, they needed to take, I think we've said on this podcast a couple times, being two out of three in this next stretch, three out of three would obviously be great, but they need two out of three if they want to win this division, have a shot at, and they got that first one. Uh, so now you just got to go out and take, you know, one or two against the Vikings, which you got at home. Hopefully that's one you can take. If not, you got to go on the road too. Uh, a bad Detroit team, and you got to beat them there. And I, I think they're going to have a chance to do that. But, um, Phil, the, the real reason we got you on the podcast, again, like we touched on earlier, it's, it's, it's Notre Dame season. We're, we're 10-0. and 0. We, We've had some big games. We brought you on before, and we got a, we got the biggest one of the year. Uh, yeah, the biggest one's always your next one. And thankfully, Syracuse, uh, you touched on it in your article on One Foot Down. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I'm very glad that Syracuse is, you know, getting some attention to rank number 12 because as good as they are, if they were coming into this game unranked, you know, 24 or 25, this could be your classic overlook game. But the fact that they're number 12 or whatever it was in the, the college football playoff ranking, I don't think the Irish can overlook them. I agree. And I think it's crazy. Uh, looking at the start of this season, who would have thought that, you know, our season would hinge on the Syracuse on game. Syracuse. <laughs> with them sandwiched in between Florida State and USC. Yeah. It's like I so I took a look at this game early in the season when I was reviewing the schedule. Everything came out about the pinstripe jerseys, and we can get to those in a minute. But um, just looking at this, I was like, it's a home game that's in New York City versus a Syracuse team that is kind of up or down and has had some pretty good offenses and a good quarterback. Um, they have a like great season, too, in my opinion. I'm a oh, Dino Babers fan. I agree. I agree. What he's done, I think it was four and eight, four and eight to them this year. And even last year, they were, you know, they were close in games. So it's, they've they've been close. They've had some guys coming back from injuries. But mm-hmm. I think that having them ranked 12 is a huge, huge, huge benefit to Notre Dame. And like, I think even saying that, it's like, why would you rather play a highly ranked good team? I think just because of the fact that they're going to get up for the game. And I, mm-hmm. I don't think Notre Dame has kind of in the back half of the season since Book has taken over, has played down to the level of their competition. I mean, I think Northwestern, we had a small stretch there where things just went, like, very poorly, very quickly in the fourth mm-hmm. quarter. Um, but outside of that, I mean, we've absolutely pay, played a step above all of our competition. Um, yeah. And, 
it's you, you take out the you know Pitt that was a, that was a bit of a tough one, um, but you take out you know the Ball State and the, the Vanderbilt game with with Wimbush. The Wimbush game. Yeah, it's, it's literally the Wimbush games, and I think a baffling thing for me is the argument that hey, Michigan's a completely different team. It's like Notre Dame has their the highest completion percentage quarterback in the country who didn't play in their first four games, and also a running back who has accounted for 10-plus touchdowns and over 700 yards rushing was yeah, not they, in that game. Literally, their two top offensive weapons did not play in that game. And yeah. you want it, everyone wanted, don't get me wrong, Michigan's doing what they've done, you know, for the last couple of years under Harbaugh. They, they beat up on teams that aren't quite as good as they are. Notre Dame's kind of never been that way for whatever reason under Kelly. They, they usually win handedly, but you never rarely see them win, you know, going away 42-7, whatever it is like that. Uh, Michigan's kind of doing what they've done, but I I know they're playing great football, and I don't want to diminish them. The, the, the Penn State win, I'm, I'm going to give them because that was dominant. Granted, Trace McSorley was kind of banged up, and, and that said, they still beat a, a pretty good Penn State team. The Wisconsin win, I mean, you look back on it now, I know they, they blew the doors off, but Wisconsin's just a bad football team. Um, they they, they played they played Notre Dame and Michigan obviously played each other. Uh, Michigan had uh, obviously their safety was out for most of the game. We didn't have a quarterback and running back. I kind of call that a wash. But the fact that I mean you're starting to hear people you know say well you know if Michigan runs the table and Notre Dame runs the table and they they win the Big Ten you know how can you could Michigan jump Notre Dame and all that like you cannot do that simply. I'm not saying this because I'm a Notre Dame fan, but they, I mean I'm sure you've heard the argument at least from you know, whispers of it coming out. You can't set that precedent because the, the whole argument that, the, that everybody wants to make is, you know, let's reward teams for scheduling big games, for not playing, you know, warm-up teams in the beginning of the year. And if you're going to literally punish Notre Dame for beating Michigan in week one, then why would a team ever schedule a difficult opponent before a conference play ever? If, if that's your argument, if your argument is we're a different team now than we were then, there's literally no point if you're going to jump Michigan over Notre Dame. If Notre Dame yeah. wants the table, obviously. If Notre Dame were to lose one of these next couple of games, okay, you can have that argument, but still. Yeah, I'm so yeah, I'm I'm under the mindset that it's those arguments are they're garbage. Um, I mean, it's it, there's there's some validity to them because people on you know ESPN and some of the places are talking about that and they're all saying you know Michigan's a better team than Notre Dame right now, which is you know. It's, it's neither here nor there. I don't think if Notre Dame runs the table, I really don't think there's a way that Michigan would jump them. No, um, I don't think it, so either. It's it, because it's twofold: setting the precedent that their first head, their first is head-to-head, the second is their only common opponent. Notre Dame has beaten Michigan and outplayed and beaten Northwestern by a higher margin of victory in the same environment um, at Northwestern. So. It's, same field, common opponent. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame had a better result. Um, and it, you touched on that. Like people are also saying, well, yeah, I think I heard Kirk Third Street and it was two weeks ago. Now he's like, well, you know, Notre Dame went to Northwestern too, and they had a tough time at Northwestern. Like, honestly, no, they didn't. The game, <laughs> they, they had a tough first half. They they flexed their muscles early on in the third and got up three touchdowns, and then Northwestern blocked the punt. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what happened there. And if you want to say Notre Dame struggled at Michigan or at Northwestern, Michigan was down 17 nothing at Northwestern. Yeah. Like, that's people. And this isn't a knock on – I'm not trying to – as much as I dislike Michigan, and I do, you know that. You know how I feel about them. <laughs> oh, yeah. This isn't me knocking Michigan. This is, they're a very good football team. But I, I know their, their numbers look impressive with wins at home against Penn State and Wisconsin. But, like, those, if you look at them, are their two biggest wins right now. Um, 
Penn State is a nice win, but I mean Notre Dame obviously has a nice one. All Michigan's really nice wins have came at home too. So I don't really. I know the scores look a little fancier, and the defense is playing well against you know crap Big Ten offenses for the most part. But I don't know. I, I don't see this whole. I, yeah, I don't and see why people keep saying Michigan's playing that much better football than Notre Dame. I don't. And if Notre Dame loses to Syracuse this weekend, okay, my argument's completely invalid. Yeah. That's totally fine. But up until this point, you can't tell me that. Yep, and I've been so I've been having this discussion with my dad actually pretty consistently over the past four or five weeks um, when Notre Dame started to make a push that was realistically that they could end up in the playoffs. If we can't go and beat a a very good, um, albeit Syracuse team, don't do um, we don't deserve it exactly. So if we can't, if our coaches and our players can't get up, go into Syracuse, beat Syracuse, then go on the road and, and beat a very very down USC team. If we can't get up and beat those teams, yes, I agree that that Michigan would. If we don't, if we lose one of these and things shake mm-hmm. out, where it's between Notre Dame and Michigan, and we have one loss, they have been playing great football, and they're again have shown that they have been dominating these teams. And if Notre Dame can't go in and beat Syracuse, how do you think we're going to go in against against the, the four, four again, the, the, the four seed against Alabama? It's like we just we just can't. So I'm using all these games, and it's. It's taken some of the, the pressure off of my uh, my heart a little bit, <laughs> just knowing that if we if we get in the playoffs, you're telling yourself that, but you haven't taken much pressure off. Yeah, no, it, it's zero. It's it's a psychological war games with my soul, um, and so you know every time that we go into some of these big games, I have the mindset, you know, if we go in and lose to one of these teams and 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 lose lose in the fashion where they actually just beat us. Then you know how are we going to do against Alabama? So mm-hmm. I'm I'm you know very cautiously optimistic, and I don't think that's going to happen. I'm you know I think Notre Dame goes into Syracuse, and we can dive into the game here in just a second. I think they finish the season undefeated. Um, I think their offensive efficiency is too good, and I think the combination of their defensive line and secondary is too good right now. That they would get the doors blown off of them by Syracuse and USC, who both have, you know, at best average defenses. Now you you talked about it there, and I do want to bring it up. We should get to the game a little bit from from last weekend. Obviously, Dexter Williams had uh, Dexter Williams had a breakout season, but uh, last night, or, I'm sorry, not last night, Saturday might have been kind of a highlight point of that. And I didn't see a ton of, I didn't see all of the game, but I kind of was I obviously read all the articles on it, read, you know, saw some of it. And it seemed like Florida State kind of wasn't willing to roll that seventh, you know, that that seventh defender, whatever you want to say, into the box to kind of prevent that run. Obviously, Notre Dame took advantage of it. How do you think is is that going to play up to, you know, obviously Book's advantage on Saturday because now Syracuse kind of has that on tape, maybe knowing they need to roll that extra safety down and kind of give Ian Book some better matchups. So I'm I'm really curious to see where Syracuse tries to take take Wait, their take away. Exactly. So it's. Are they going to roll an extra man in the box and give up the short and intermediate routes where Book is literally the best quarterback in the nation at doing mm-hmm. um, statistically? Or are they going to try to take away those and force Notre Dame to run the ball on them? Which is what, you know, Florida State, first of all, that was such a dumb move. It's like, do they realize that they're playing? <laughs> it seems like they completely they, they built their game plan for Ian Book. And then when, mm-hmm. it, switched to Wim, when it switched to Wimbush, they were just like, eh, eh. whatever. Yeah, we'll be fine, and just got torched. And so it's Notre Dame has the ability now, um, especially with Jafar Armstrong and Dexter both in the backfield, 
um, to really take advantage of both. So I think that we're going to see a combination where they have situational packages where they're stuff, trying to stuff the run. But I think in those situations, the ability for Kip Long and Ian Book to potentially check out of some of those situations and hit some of those quick, you know, quick routes to think mm-hmm. Mac, Boykin, and Claypool, who have all been surging at, like, the exact right time. Mm-hmm. So Notre Dame's offense is, is really trending in the right direction right now, and their defense has been who they've been all year, which is a, you know, a top, top 10, top 15 overall defense. Now, they, they what, had their fifth or so different offensive line combination, I think, it was against Florida State. Uh, what did you think of their performance? Obviously, they ran the ball well. Florida State has a, for, for as bad as Florida State is, the one thing they kind of do okay is stopping the run and having that, that front seven that's pretty solid. What did you see from that line? Uh, obviously, I need to talk about the line quite still. That's what I do. But what did you see from them on Saturday night? Is that you think they roll with the same combination, even though they might be getting all healthy? Uh, obviously, aside from Alex Barr, Alex Barr on Saturday. Yeah. I, it's tough to say if they're going to stick with the exact same combination. I think we're going to see a little bit of rotation, not like full two platoon. Um, with, uh, I can't remember who was out with some like elbow soreness. Ruin, Kramer, I believe. Ruin, yeah, Ruin, Ruin, Ruin. Kramer started for Ruin. Yeah. So I think, I think we're going to see play Ruin back again and again. But I think the most ridiculous statistic from that entire game was that they had, out of all the Notre Dame's 50 rushes, there were zero, <laughs> zero tackles for loss. Jeez. Which means, like, every single rush was positive, which, uh, you know, you look at that and you're like, that's a pretty good tackle. When you dive into that, uh, I'd love to see a breakdown of what teams have actually done that before. Because it's just, I mean, it's like baffling that they had it's, zero negative I mean, plays. Fluke plays happen. I mean, you, you, you step on, you know, a guard steps on the center's foot sometimes. That, like, you don't even have to be bad for that to happen. You can be a good player and still sometimes get beat. There's something still fluky happens where you have that tactical loss. And I did, now that you bring it up, I did see that stat. I think it was one of the articles in The Athletic. It's just, it's, it's an unbelievable stat. And it's, it's nice to see this offensive line. They're never going to be last year's offensive line or maybe even the one we saw. You know, with a healthy Alex Barnes, I don't know why I keep calling him Alex. Um, but there were a lot of questions on this line going in, especially with Harry Heastan bolting for the Bears. So it's nice to see them, again, not where they were last year because that was an all-world offensive line, but, you know, clicking at the right time kind of when they need him to go in November. And, and they, don't, they don't need to give Book tons of time because he makes the read so quickly, so they don't mm-hmm. need to be last year's offense, um, which, is, which is nice because if you look at it, Notre Dame's offense is – very, very different than last year. So it's, mm-hmm. it's okay to have a different offensive line combination. So as long as they're giving Book, you know, some time. Uh, I think now with the with the development of um, of Alizé Mack last week, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's one that's one I wanted to touch on quickly. Um, so you know, while you're here, <laughs> seeing him make both of those catches last week, I think it was a collective like about time breath from every Notre Dame fan. Yeah, since over the last right. four years. Um, because he, like he's his freshman year when he was showing yeah. flashes. And so, I mean, his freshman year, he showed flashes. He had, I think he had like 16 or 17 catches for, you know, a true freshman tight end. Solid year. Next year, he was out for eligibility. And then last year, he was just bad. He was soft as, he was soft as a blocker. He wasn't reliable with his hands. And we've seen over the past five or six weeks, um, and it's definitely... I think a confidence thing with Ian Book because his best games, his two best games were Ian Book's first two starts over the last two years, so that's no coincidence. And so I think Mac has a trust in Book and Book has a trust in him where I think just the passes and the, the placement of the ball is huge. So I think 
uh, you know, he puts a little bit of touch on it where Wimbush would just kind of throw darts. Yeah, and that just wasn't necessarily working for Max Strongsuit. And so the ability to put some touch on the ball and give him a situation where he can win a jump ball, now he's done it. So he did it twice last week. And so his improvement is, is key because having that goal line and short yardage type of weapon, I mean, they, they already had it with, with Miles Boykin. So you add in mm-hmm. another, another guy who's, you know, you know, big body there too down, the, down the goal line. Yeah. I mean, they're what? It's six, very hard six, to guard. Six, six, four, six, five, and six, six. So the shortest one is six, four. And then you have, then you have Fink who's just all types of shifty right now. And so they're all surging at the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I was concerned about early on, even when Book took over, is that him and Boykin established an incredible connection. Um, and Fink was playing solid, but he didn't have the production that, you know, you'd hope for out of both Claypool and Mack. And now over the last few weeks, both of them absolutely the stepped in. game, Claypool was all world. Oh, he was unbelievable. And, and it's, the thing is, it's not just... It's not just their ability to catch the ball, but it's a combination of all of their blocking. So Elise Mack has been, I think he finally realized that he's 6'6", six, six, like 260. Oh, um, I'm and, bigger than you. I can, I can muscle you for the ball or I can block you. Yeah, and I think part of that was definitely maturity. So he kind of realized, hey, I'm not just a pass-catching tight end to be a, a great tight end. And right now, I have to be able to make those blocks. He's been making those blocks. You see Claypool blocking, and it's a work of art. I mean, mm-hmm. he, like, craves the contact. And some of my favorite things, I think there's a couple clips um, that I would love to dig up, on some plays where Claypool is just driving guys through the back of the end zone. And then what I love to see is he will take that clip and retweet it and just be like, look, this is what I do and this is what I love to do. Like Kevin White, he's a great blocker. Yeah, Kevin White. Uh, all, all world blocker. Now I do want to I want to talk to you. We've touched on you know the big games in November and up until this year that that had not been Notre Dame's forte. Uh, I said on this podcast, Brent, I've gone back on it because I bought into this team 100%. But that I won't believe in a Brian Kelly team until they win a big game in November. Um, here's their big game in November. Obviously, in the past few years they've just been awful. In this month, um, they, they they went over in the off season. They kind of changed their preparation, changed a lot of things they've done. So, what is what is different? this time around, this November around, than November's past, I guess. Um, I would definitely say the coordinators that Notre Dame has. Um, I mean, you have Clark Lee, you have Chip Long, who are two, you know, up-and-coming minds that are that they can react very quickly. So if you've seen Notre Dame's second-half adjustments, both on defense and on offense, that has been the difference. Um, you know, you look at them coming out in the second half versus Northwestern. They, you look at them coming out in the second half against Virginia Tech, on both sides of the ball in close games, just came out and clearly just had a better game plan than their opposition in the second half, which I don't think was happening before. And before it was kind of like, hey, let's just keep doing it and hope we have some magic. Or Kelly would say, like, hey, I'm going to take over the play calling and throw it, you know, 50 times this half. Just never run and the ball yet. Exactly. So his, I think the ability of Kelly to, like, fully trust his coordinators and then let leave the big, some of the big decisions to him it's taken, I think, some of the, some of the pressure off. Um, and, and then, and then too, I mean, this is, it's just this, this team, I think this is the best both offensive and defensive balanced team that we've had in a while. Um, whereas last year, the, it's you know, all the run. Past, yeah, it was all run. We had, it was home run, home run, home run. And this year it's just balanced. And I, you know, I've never loved small balling teams, but it's, it's hilarious because Ian Book, you think, checking his statistics after the game, yeah, he's like, oh, he was probably like 
you know, 22 of 30 for, you know, 210 yards. I'm like, no, he was 28 for 32 with 320 yards. And you're just like, what? And I think of how that is. <laughs> exactly. And it's just like, I think the ability of, and the creativity of, of Chip Long to get his playmakers the ball with, you know, seven and eight yards of space. Because he's not, we're not hitting bombs. This isn't, you know, Deshaun it's Kaiser hitting. by yeah. a thousand cuts. And it's and again it's it's not like they're five yard passes it's consistently you know eight to fifteen to twenty yard plays and so you know I I think hopefully this is this is a different Kelly um, he seems much more relaxed all season his demeanor on the sideline is very different and you know internally I don't think he's different but I think externally he made a conscious choice to be different in the way that he approaches his players, his coordinators, and holds everybody accountable um, because that's just allowed him to not only trust his players more, trust his coordinators more, but for them to trust him that he's not going to just say, oh, shit, and then just pull back and change everything. Hey, you, you talked about Deshaun Kaiser there, and while I do love this, I mean, this offense is obviously got more efficient. It's working better. It's, it's going to work better against better defenses because it, it, it opens things up a little more. The nostalgia in me does miss the Deshaun Kaiser 60-yard bomb to Will Fuller, who was just, you know, 15 yards past the guy who's trying to man up on him. Uh, but that, that was always fun to watch. But, again, yeah. you talk about their creativity in this offense, which it has been creative. They're, they're getting, they're finding ways to get people the ball. One thing I have kind of liked, which I think was something they did wrong in the past, they used to get a little bit cute in the red zone. And if you look a lot of the time on first and goal, second and goal now, instead of running some gimmick play or running some rollout to the right where they take away half the field, it's just been, okay, Miles Boykin is one-on-one. I'm just going to throw him the ball and see if he catches it. And a lot of the times, when you ha- especially in college, when you have the better athlete and have the better receiver, it's, it's, it's kind of that black and white. You just throw the ball up to him and see if they come down. And then if you get second or third down and need to do something weird, okay, go for it. But I, I love that they're actually taking that shot. And you need that left, you need that bigger receiver to do it. But they all in the first and second and goal, they've really never hesitated to give that a shot, which I do like. And and I think I think Book does a really good job of putting the ball in a position either up and away or back shouldered, where it's either going to be a completion or it's or going to be or out of bounds. And so mm-hmm. it's it's not really that much of a chance, especially with how much confidence Boykin is playing with right now. You throw the ball in his area and he's just you know, he's playing with swag that he hasn't had before, where he just looks like a, you know, he's, a, he's an imposing figure on, on you know, 5'10", 6'10", DB. You talk about guy, I mean, you talked about uh, Alizé Mack, who's been a better player, different player since Ian Book. I was ready to call Miles Boyce. I, well, I had called Miles Boyce in somewhat of a bust on this podcast, and I completely regret saying that. I'll, I completely take it back, because once they made that quarterback change, you can tell he obviously trusts Book more, and he is just, he has so much more confidence. He has so much more belief that the ball is actually going to be in a spot and he's going to go up and get it. Whereas with Book, I don't think, or with Winbush, excuse me, I'm not really sure. He kind of knew what was going on. There wasn't much touch on the ball. Like you said, they're all kind of dark. He didn't really, no one really had much confidence in, in any pass plays I think they were running. He's been a completely different player since, you know, week three, week four, whenever the heck it was. Um, and obviously we, we touched on Claypool and, and Mac, but Miles Boykin has been kind of the breakout star of this offense, and he's been, whenever they've needed the big play, he's been the one to go out and make it. He made that ridiculous catch against Northwestern um, for, the, for the touchdown at the back of the end zone. He obviously got the, the I think it was the first touchdown against Florida State, so he, he he's coming up big when they needed him to, and it's it's clear how much more he trusts Ian Book in this offense. Yeah. 
And I think I think something that the receivers have really developed with Book is when the read is not there, we would see Wimbush scramble and look to take off where Book can do that, but he's going to extend the play as much as he can. So I, a play that sticks out to me, um, I think it was first, uh, I think it was against Northwestern when Jafar Armstrong was downfield, completely reverse field, stuck his hand up. Book was rolling out to his right, kind of saw him doing that, and just put an absolute dart there, which is something that Wimbush would have taken off in that situation. Mm-hmm. And so Book's ability to extend the play with his eyes downfield is, you know, that's what makes him a 75% completion yeah. factor because when it's so hard for DBs when plays break down like that and you have a quarterback who constantly has his eyes downfield. It's, it's almost impossible. Now I never played DB. You did, but I'd imagine it, especially in man coverage, it's almost impossible to stick with that receiver when he just kind of starts scramble drill uh, for all that long. Um, so we're, we're going to wrap up here. I know you've got a little bit of a, uh, a time constraint. Um, I guess my, my last question here is I'm going to ask you, it, this could have been a home game for Notre Dame if they wanted to in South Bend. Uh, you, you think there's a little regret here, you know, with where they are and how good Syracuse kind of looks now that they're playing this in Yankee Stadium? And what do you kind of think this might mean for the, the Shamrock series going forward? I mean, I think they definitely regret it. Um, so I think Jack Swarbrick, the athletic he director. He probably supported it, but I think if he got him yeah. in his office alone, he'd say, yeah, I kind of wish we were playing this in Edinburgh. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, like, uh, looking at it from, uh, you know, I think it's a good recruiting tool to get them some cool uniforms. I think the players will like the uniforms. They always do. It's something that's exciting for them. Um, uh, I mean, how can you, how can you, you couldn't have known that Syracuse was going to be a top 12 team. Yeah. You know, every year we played Syracuse, um, you know, we're not anticipating that it's going to be a very difficult matchup. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't have anticipated that. So yes, we would have liked to, um, but I think Brian Kelly said in his press conference earlier in the week, he's like, there's no, it's not changing. There's no use harping on it, no use talking about it. So mm-hmm. I think the way that they have to frame this is, Hey, this is, a, this is a cool venue for the kids. This is going to be some cool uniforms, cool in quotation marks. Just, I know there's some... This might be a hot take. If they wore gold helmets instead of those stupid navy blue ones, I would like the uniforms. Same, same. No, also, no, I, I'll take it away. They shouldn't have the pants. Pants. On the pants. Of the no, no, I, I, I kind of think the pants are cool simply just because, like, we're playing at the Yankee Stadium, we're looking True. at the Yankees. Like, I, I get it for why they're there. The, the pinstripes on the side of the jerseys, all, they, they should have just changed the pants. So it's, it's like not realistic straight, because straight, you want to straight more pants. Stuff. Yeah. Just give me the striped Yankee pants and then just give me the, the normal uniform from there on out. And I can see what you're going, where you're going with. The rest of the stuff looks kind of stupid. Yeah. But I'm agree with, like, players in that locker room, the second you get a new uniform to look, like, no matter how ridiculous it might look, the second you get a new uniform, you it's think cool. you look all swagged out. You kind of feel yeah. kind of cool running out there. Like, I remember it wasn't the first time you wore all green, like, that was really cool. Like we're 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 you know, this is awesome. We're gonna go out and play awesome. Like players do feel that. That's I agree. I agree. And that's I think some of the traditionalists are like saying like this isn't Notre Dame. It's like dude, just like young players, young players, players today's day and age, they want that. to do stuff like this to recruit young players. Sometimes yeah. Sure. When I when I yeah when I was at Holy Cross, all I wanted to wear was like a black matte helmet. And I was like that would be so cool. And we never did that. And then, like, a year after, they're having, like, all-black jerseys, all-black helmets. And you see the players, and they love it. I mean, it's good, it's good exposure for the program. There's going to be tons of takes about it. But at the end of the day, I don't – this isn't a team that's been caught up in distraction so far. And, I mean, because it's not like they're playing a, 
you know, an early October game, they, they're going to come out extremely focused because this is a, a game, a defining game for them. Yeah, it's a playoff game. They have, playoff game. They, have, they, have, they have two weeks left before they're, you know, finishing the top four of the college football playoff, which honestly they deserve to be in. So it's, 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 they, they have a tough matchup this weekend. I'll just touch on some of the guys to look out for, for, for Syracuse. So quarterback Eric Dungey, similar statistics to Ian Book, 14 touchdowns, five interceptions, only 60% completion percentage, 12 rushing touchdowns, which is kind of nuts. So it'll be interesting to see his balance of run and pass because he's kind of mobile when he is, but once you know he kind of gets clocked, his mobility drops a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see if we can just get a good body on him. So look for, like, Alohi Gilman to just, like, crush him in the early. Yeah, just crush him in the open field once because I think that'll really rattle him. And then, you know, Mo Neal, uh, the running back, good name, got, you know, almost similar, similar statistics, similar statistics to, um, uh, to Dexter this year, though he's played in four more games. Four more games. Uh, Sean Riley at receiver. I think there's a couple guys like Nikeem Johnson, one guy named uh, Jamal, uh, I want to say Curtis or Cuts, just one of them. They, their receivers are similar production wise, um, to Notre Dame thus far. Um, but, uh, I, I think we definitely have the advantage. Um, in terms of our ability to lock up their corner. So my like absolute key to the key to this game is how well we can do in the nickel with Sean Crawford. I'm glad you brought that up because that was yeah. be my I wanted to get that in you and I texted about that before. But go on. Yeah. So it's so Sean Crawford or not Sean Nick Crawford. Nick Nick Coleman, yeah. Nick Coleman's ability to have another good week at nickel um could absolutely change this game because I think if we can we can not even completely shut down because that's just not going to happen with this offense, but kind of limit this offense's big play and make Dungy sit in the pocket a little bit. I think Aquara, Tillery, uh, Dalen Hayes, and Kareem, uh, Kareem will get to him. And so they're, you know, they have a good offensive line, but I think if we can kind of force him to scramble around a little bit, then I think he will make some of the mistakes, and I think we will get to him. Because it's you look at you look at Aquara coming off the outside, he is, you know, he's one of the best in college football from a speed rush perspective right now, and I expect him to really have a big game with the amount of times that Syracuse is looking to throw the ball. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. It's limiting their big playability and just basically what they've done for most of the year. If we're being honest, I mean, the defense has been – very good, but I don't think they've been great. But the one thing they've done really well is kind of the bend don't break. They they make deep their offense. Excuse me, reel off these long played like 15 play drives, 14 play drives. Where okay, if you're going to go 14 plays without making a big mistake, that's fine. I'm going to make you go. I'm not going to let you beat me deep. I'm going to make you make a million great decisions. And if you can do that, you're going to get points. I don't think you're going to be able to do that. And Notre Dame has been pretty beneficial throughout the year in being able to either you know make stops, take the ball away. Uh, anything yeah. like that, but uh, I, I'm I, totally with him. I would be more nervous if Dungy was a 70% completion guy, but he's looking, you know, just above 60. So, you know, he's, it's not like he's going to absolutely carve them up and be perfectly accurate. I think he's very capable. I think he's a very good quarterback, but he's not a guy where he's going to quickly get the ball out and think and dunk us um, consistently. I just don't think he's as accurate as he needs to do that. Uh, so, yeah, what do you? Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, sorry. I got one. No, no. I got a last question that I want to wrap up with. So you ask me the question. Go ahead. 
I was just going to ask you what you're feeling about the game from a prediction standpoint, so I'll let you ask yours first. Okay, I want to ask you about the green jerseys from Saturday night. Like, I, I, I like the idea of them, in theory, like the senior night green. Okay, fine. The blue numbers and the blue logo, like, don't, I know Notre Dame's blue and gold, but, like, don't, don't force the blue down. The, the blue and the green don't go together. This isn't new trivia. <laughs> I know. I was, right. I was kind of saying, I loved, I loved, I loved the colors. It was kind of funny listening to, um, the announcers uh, and some people was, like, openly, openly complaining like I don't know who that was because blue and green don't go well for announcers I know and they just they just literally couldn't see the numbers which was kind of funny I think they should have done the either I was kind of hoping they were going to do like the true um, throwback like you know like the Joe Montana yeah. green with the like kind of yellowish mm-hmm. color on there yeah. Um, but I'm, I like I like them. Um, I think I'm glad they didn't go all green. I hated the. I agree. I hated the all green. Even if they would have done the um, the USC Notre Dame green ones, but I just I'd be we're gonna, we're gonna do burn that forever. Those yeah, burn those. Those, back. those, those ones are back. yeah. Those they're the coolest cool. jerseys they might have ever worn, but they're never coming back. Yeah. They're so I mean, I was I was I liked I liked them. Um, and I'm curious to see this weekend. The pink striped jerseys, if they look cool, like in person, like when they're actually playing, um, okay. and it'll be, it'll be. It's also very weird for me to see Notre Dame in not gold helmets. So that's gonna throw me off. Yeah, I don't. I don't like I'm not watching Notre Dame. Like I don't like it. I, I, they, they, there's a lot of things they can change up, but I think the gold helmets are something that can always stick. Um, so let's let's do predictions here. I'll, I'll start this off because I'll let you finish it. Be the the final predictor here. Um, I'm kind of with you. I think we talked about this back and forth a little bit yesterday. I think it's going to be close for a little while, and I think eventually Syracuse is going to kind of make enough mistakes. Notre Dame is going to force them into enough mistakes offensively where I think Notre Dame might pull away towards the end. I'm, I'm just seeing a close game in the first half. Notre Dame kind of pulls away, let's say, 42-31, 42-28, something along the lines of that. Damn it! You took my score. <laughs> well, I took two scores. So which one did you have? So I was. I'm going to go with. I'm leaning more towards. Well, I'll go 42, uh, 27. Okay. I'm. I'm leaning more towards uh, like a 42, 42, 28. Um, maybe even. You know. Actually, I'll. I'll. I'll stick. I'll go 45, 30. Okay. Um, and I think. I think Notre Dame is. I think it's a consistently Notre Dame's up by a touchdown or ten points. So it. It's it's always a competitive game, but never feels very close. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so it's like you know, fourteen seven in the first half, or seventeen, you know, seventeen seven in the first quarter, something like that. Because I think Notre Dame can score. Uh, I think they're going to score a lot, and I think their ability to score and then have a three and out and score again is going to be something that if they can do that. Um, they need to get up early. So mm-hmm. I think it's Notre Dame's ability to score and score again quickly is going to be huge. So I think that will set Syracuse into panic mode. Well, I was, um, was going to ask you for a key to the game, but that sounds to me like your key to the game. Yeah. It take, take advantage of um, a short field or a defensive stop or a turnover and score quickly against it. So I think some of the, you know, uh, I think it was versus, uh, I want to say Virginia Tech, where we scored – then had a pick and then scored again, mm-hmm. and so it's our ability to put together a long drive, a long suffocating drive, get a stop and then score quickly is just demoralizing. 
And so I think our ability, our ability to do that um, is really going to dictate the game. Uh, I, I'm with you, and I'm somewhere similar along the same lines, but I think you, it, you're talking about grabbing momentum. I think you, there's, there's great ways to grab momentum on special teams, whether that's Justin Yoon making the field goals he's supposed to, you know, having great kickoff coverage, Tyler Newsom having a big game, punting the ball, and, and big coverage. That's been something that's kind of been lacking uh, the last few weeks. If you, if you want to nitpick on what Notre Dame's been doing, I think the special teams is something that can improve. We can see that third phase kind of bump up. Uh, I think that can be key in momentum as well. But, Bill, thank you for joining. Thank you for stepping in. Um, I know you got to get going here. Yeah, you said you had a, a hard out time that I'm going to get for you. Um, hopefully we can get Joe back on here. So hopefully a couple weeks from now we, we have you on preview of a college football playoff game. Let's, let's say that, across for that, huh? That is the dream. And you can gloat about your prediction of Notre Dame making the college football playoff in the, in the season preview show. And right. I said I, would, I didn't want to do it. Hey. Um, <laughs> that's that's going to wrap it up here. Uh, I want to do. I do want to say one more time. Uh, we're going to do this every week until December first. But get online, buy your tickets for Wishfest, uh, the Andrew Wisher Foundation. Uh, yearly event, their big event concert. Uh, it's, it's on the south side at Bourbon Street. It's a fun time. Dispatch is the uh, the main act. Easton Corbin's going to be out there as well with a couple other uh, local bands playing. Fun time every year. Uh, go to wishforever.org. Uh, W-E-I-S-H, the number four ever.org. Um, go there, buy your tickets, make a donation, whatever. It's a great time, great event. Uh, Phil, thank you for joining us, and uh, that's it for episode 80. We will see you next week. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. <laughs> Chicken on the steak was phenomenal.